way to bring us in. <laughs> well, welcome back to Sheep Stuff. You should know here today in Auburn, Dan Macon, I think, is who I am. Um, last time I checked, and uh, up here in the asylum in Placer County, and joined today by Dr. Rosie Bush. Looks like you're in your office at UC Davis today. Is that right? I am. I jumped in just to record. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Very good. Yeah, I've been in the lab all morning. You don't have and, a separate studio for recording this podcast? I mean, people walk into my office and they're like, whoa, this is a recording <laughs> studio. <laughs> Nobody's ever said that in my office. They usually no. walk in and say, whoa, this is a disaster. <laughs> I used to get compliments about the like little background scene I have, but now I've made it enough of a mess over here that people don't compliment me anymore. That's why I have my background blurred. Yes. <laughs> like no one needs to experience Nobody needs this. to see this mess. <laughs> they don't <Yeah>. have to. <laughs> so you organize gonna... chaos, right? <laughs> oh, chaos for sure. Chaos. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not sure how well organized mine is. <laughs> You were up in uh, Surprise Valley this week, huh? Yeah. Yeah. That's a cool place to visit. It was cool gorgeous. Yeah. yeah. My nose was red from the <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it definitely is feeling like late fall in yeah. the high country now, isn't it? Yep. Yeah. I got I... got snowed on Saturday coming out of the backcountry on a hunting trip. So yeah, that's wild. Cool. We were in Reno last weekend. Gosh, it feels like a month ago. And <laughs> we were coming back over the summit and we're like, is that snow on the ground? So yeah, that's good. Yeah. Yep. Start a yeah. little bit of a snowpack. We just need some rain at the foothill level now. Yeah. Yeah. Cause in that snow is not going to do any good. <laughs> no, no. Yeah, it didn't rain here at all. Really? Over the weekend. Yeah, it was all in the high country. So. Yeah, yeah, it didn't rain in the valley either, as far as I know. But but we got wind, which is always great when you're trying to conserve moisture. Always makes me happy. <laughs> well, at least you have enough residual dry matter, I'm sure, to try to help hold some of that in. <laughs> I'm yeah. sure it's better than other places that are overgrazed. That's true. That's true. That's true. <laughs> I, I I should be thankful for what I have, not <laughs> envious of those that have green grass at the moment. Oh, well. I mean, that's human <laughs> nature, right? The grass is always greener. Or when the grass is greener, you want it. <laughs> you want it. Exactly. I have grass envy. I I drive up and down the freeway in the wintertime in the valley, and there's grass growing on the on the shoulder and in the center divide. And I'm thinking, how many days could I get out of that if I had to put my sheep there? Yeah. Oh, no. Definite grass envy. Yeah. Except for all the oleander that's all over the no. highways. Yeah. That exactly. drives me nuts. Exactly. Thank so you. how are things in, in Surprise Valley? How were things up north? Good. Good. Yeah. The families. So I think Anna has her sheep company and she's moving back onto the ranch with her husband and her family. And cool. was, yeah, I, I showed up right when they were unpacking. Oh, wow. <laughs> I was like, Oh, can I help? <laughs> <laughs> so, oh, I didn't help. Actually. They were pretty much done. <laughs> I was like, I showed up busy. right in wow. time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> wow. But yeah, no, they were, that was cool. And yeah, Cole got there late that evening so I didn't see them till the next morning but yeah they're busy 
everyone was running around and but that's good yeah i bet yeah now do they do they lamb in the spring up there i think they do this group we were just preg check or i was up there while they were preg checking i had no mm. nothing to do with the scanning but um yeah so there they had two groups that I think there was a March group and a May group or so. Okay. And yeah. And then um, I believe they have a couple of other breeding groups. So they're trying to kind of try out a couple of different seasons. Yeah. So, yeah. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. It was interesting but talking to them. Yeah. I think so they're kind of they're They have that and then they go. I think they have a bunch of different places where they graze so they can take advantage of different breed or different lambing seasons. I think they go, I know Cole has some um has some feed out by Winnemucca. Yeah. Um, he goes to. So and Humboldt County and then he Humboldt had... County, Nevada. No, I think he was on these sheep he said just came from the coast. Really? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. So, and they're Rambouillet fine wool sheep. And he said they did really well in the wet, but it was summer, but still, he said it yeah. rained four times in July and they did really well. Cool. Yeah. So that was, yeah, it's interesting. And I think they do some grazing in the Bay Area. And yeah, okay. so it's interesting. That was kind of, it's just neat seeing how different people do things and yeah, yeah, beautiful the animals are. And it was cool. Yeah, and that's such pretty country up there. Pretty drive all the way up. Yeah, <laughs> there were no cars. <laughs> it's even better. <laughs> yes, I was like, wow, this is amazing. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Cool. Yep. Good trip. Yeah, you know, right when you get back into California, because it's you see nothing but taillights. <laughs> we noticed that coming back from, from college with both girls, that you get, oh just east of reno and you're back in the traffic but other than that it's i don't think californians are tough enough to handle nevada for the most part so uh, yeah <laughs> I, obviously i'm not tough enough to handle northeastern california <laughs> <laughs> i did okay you, you do but, have to like the wind you have yeah to like the, the it was funny the uh guy who was scanning was like do you want another sweater i'm like i have three shirts on i should be okay <laughs> <laughs> I just need to move around <laughs> i went to a to an auction oh gosh this has been more than 10 years ago up in eastern oregon like in april and it was kind of snowing and it, actually it was it was 15 years ago because it was the year i turned 40 and the last day it was just colder than cold and this guy was selling a horse and he was trying to ride the horse through the auction crowd just to kind of let people see it and he's all hunched up and they said hey good morning he goes oh you got to be tough to live in the west <laughs> so that's whenever our girls whined after that we'd just tell them you know you got to be tough to live in the west <laughs> and then last week when the snow was blowing in our tent on our hunting trip I amended the statement. You got to be tough to live in the West, but you don't have to be stupid. Yeah, you can be prepared. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs>
So I think you were going to come up with our topic today. Is that right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds very well-defined. Yes, yeah. it's convincing. Yeah. I know. <laughs> well, I don't know. I We've been getting a number. We I have been getting some questions about different minerals. Um, and I don't know that we've talked about minerals much on here. So I thought maybe we could just, I don't know, talk about where they come from or what they're for i don't know <laughs> yeah no i think that sounds good it's a it's kind of a it's one of the finer points of raising livestock i think that we don't spend a lot of time or thought on but that can have some pretty profound impacts on health yeah. and immunity and vaccine response mm -hmm. and all and of you those guys things. talked about the protein and the energy requirements the last time you and Ryan recorded. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, it's protein, energy and fiber are like the main things that we think about with nutrition and the fibers, mostly adult nutrition. But yeah, and then minerals are that other piece that, like you said, it's such a tiny portion of the diet, but really important for function. Yeah. Yeah. For foot health for wool production for reproduction yeah yeah exactly yeah exactly and it's taken i think that's <laughs> we've always kind of just bitten off pieces of of new production ideas as we could get to them and mm -hmm. i think as we as our operation and program evolved it was kind of one of the last things that we we tried to up our game on you know we we tried to get good at breeding management we tried to get good at feeding lambs and foot health and and finally we got to the level of confidence i guess you could say that that we started paying more attention to the mineral piece of our program too and i yeah. think there's still a lot to learn for us yeah it. and it's so challenging especially for folks that are you know, in that are actually grazing. If you're mm -hmm. feeding a total mixed ration, you just mm -hmm. give them everything they need. Right. It's a complete feed. You right. don't have to think about it. When you add grazing, even when you add grazing into that, yeah. right? Like, let's say you're on a really lush green pasture. Does that have a ton of minerals in it? No, not really. No. It's mostly water. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. if you have dairy cows grazing, you know, organic dairy cows grazing in a wet green pasture that is diluting the impact of your total mixed ration. Yep. So you have to account for that and how much, you know, depending on how much grazing they do a day is going to change how much mineral needs to be to compensate for that in their ration. And it's like, you know, like just, and that's the two of those together, then you put grazing in different environments over the course right. of a year with different plant maturity and all those, like it, it is complicated. Right. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. And I, that's, I, you know, one of the, the questions that we had early on and that I get from, from producers here too, is kind of the, the different approaches, not only to understanding what, what your low end or maybe what your high end, but then how do you get that into the animal? Mm -hmm. Um, and it it seems from what I've read and, and kind of our own experience that if you can get it into their feed as opposed to injecting it directly, you've got a longer term benefit um, for the animal. Is that is that an accurate assumption? Sort of. It's more the difference between a bolus and a continuous feed. 
you know, or something that they have continuous access to. So, you know, whether their feed, let's say they're grazing a really diverse pasture that has, you know, if it's goats, especially they have access to browse, they have different grasses, they have different forbs, like those. (laughs) See, I'm learning all these plant words. It's great. It's good. It's good. She's a veterinarian, folks. (laughs) I'm turning all red. Um, But... (laughs) But yeah, when they have that that more diversity, I'm seriously red. This is funny. Um, <laughs> they they're more likely to be meeting their mineral needs. Right. Um, whereas when we get to diets, oh gosh, I've totally lost my face. <laughs> Making fun of myself. But oh yeah, so let's say if we're so then you might, so that animal has a continuous access to that mineral supply mm-hmm. that's in their mm-hmm. feed, but we don't always have that. And most places are deficient in something in California. We're pretty deficient in copper and selenium. Mm-hmm. And we always say nutrition's regional. There are places that like Colorado where selenium toxicity is a concern, even right. on just grazing animals without supplementation. Um, and I know copper toxicity is a concern in some pastures here, even in California. Um, but generally we think we're copper deficient and selenium deficient. Um, so then how do you make sure that animals getting what they need? It depends on the, if they're growing animals, if they're mm-hmm. pregnant, if they're lactating, they all have different demands, kind of like they have different protein and energy demands. They have different mineral mm-hmm. needs also. Mm-hmm. And if we you know, there's boluses that can go in the rumen, like copper oxide wire particles. We don't really think of them as boluses for copper, but they do supply copper Mm -hmm. in a short amount of time. Um, Or there's like for cattle, there's copper boluses, selenium boluses, and those Mm -hmm. are like big chunks of metal that you just, you know, gently put into their throat i know what you were gonna say you almost said it my mouth was like shit and gently put down my throat. yeah <laughs> but yeah i've done a number of that and but those two you would apply probably like right before they they enter into a life stage where they need more of that mineral mm-hmm. whether it's because they're grazing feed that has less or they're, you know, in their third trimester of their, you know, their gestation or they're entering lactation. Like, so it's kind of that whole balance of everything. And And we, we keep some injectable, particularly selenium um, on hand at lambing time, just if we start seeing some evidence of weak lambs or, or retained placentas or things like that. But our, our focus has really become providing that access to a, a mineral block or a loose mineral um, on a on a round of year basis so that they've got access to it. And we'll see, you know, it's interesting, you talk about different life stages, um, that consumption, consumption of that mineral will go up or down depending on forage, depending on what's going on with the animals, the class of animal. Um, it's, it's all, it all kind of, works in that cycle and you can yeah. tell when they're when they're really hitting the salt block or the mineral block that we put out 
it's typically at, at like right now at breeding um they are just going after the, the mineral blocks that are higher in selenium than than would be typical cool. and i think their bodies kind of tell them what they need at that stage too yeah yeah you know it, it occurs to me there's a, a great book out by fred provenza who was at um, utah state did a lot of work on grazing behavior and grazing preferences and a guy from france where they went and talked to french shepherds and then followed them on these daily grazing circuits they would take sheep out and the shepherds knew a particular plant that that animal needed at that stage in its production cycle or at a particular time of day to set up their appetite for where they'd be later in the day. I mean, it was just incredible geospatial knowledge of, and, and botanical knowledge um, yeah. of what the sheep needed at that particular time. We went out, I think I mentioned, we went out with, with a um, herder up in Truckee mm -hmm. in September and just started asking him about what the sheep were eating and, and how he managed the grazing. And, I want to spend like maybe five or six years doing that. Yeah. But one of the really cool things that I hadn't really ever noticed, and I'm I'm curious as to why this would be, not to take us down a rabbit hole, but what the heck. Yeah. <laughs> Please do. do. That's what we do. <laughs> but there's a, a native wildflower up in the high country called mule's ears. It's a sunflower. And he pointed out the fact that the sheep were only eating the dry leaves off of the mule's ears. That there were plants at that stage that had both green and dry leaves, and the sheep would ignore the green leaves and only eat the dry. Hmm. So there's something either palatability-wise or texture-wise mm -hmm. or perhaps mineral concentration-wise that made that part of the plant more desirable than the flower or the green leaf and it's just part yeah. of it i think is letting the sheep letting the animals kind of pick what they need at a particular time too mm -hmm. and that's I, that can be challenging with intensive grazing because yeah. in intensive grazing we're trying to get them to eat everything rather than what they want yeah yeah Sorry. That's interesting. No, I'm returned from the rabbit hole now. Yeah, no, but it, it makes you think too, because with I'm they definitely they'll also go after things that are maybe you know like they'll go after the grains of certain grasses. Yeah, and, like they definitely go yeah. after the things that are like candy to them. Oh yeah, and then they'll definitely. go back and eat the other things that you know. It's like eating dessert before your vegetables. <laughs> <laughs> Shame on you, sheep. I know. I've always wanted to do that. <laughs> I, know, I, know. I One of the things that's interesting about grazing here in the foothills is um, kind of where we're grazing and what the past history of that landscape has been mm -hmm. um, and what the water source is. So one of the things that we keep an eye on is copper because we're grazing a lot of old orchards. Mm-hmm and copper sulfate was and is a dormant spray, um, which we tend to, we've actually done some forage testing in old orchards and found elevated copper levels in the forage hmm. um, because of that history. But then we also get our all of our drinking water for the sheep from um, an irrigation district that's all open canal 
systems and they treat with copper sulfate about three times a year. Mm -hmm. um, we get a notice when that's going to happen, but I'm sure that there's copper in the water that we don't account for in our, in our mineral program as well. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. A really important part too. And it's interesting. I've looked since I've started this job, I think I've looked at two water quality analyses and I was like, Oh, I've never seen one of these before. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. yeah. So I figured out how to look at it and how, you know, it is there. There's so much to that with, you know, the pH of the water and the hardness of the water, the calcium content. And, you know, cause we always yeah. talk about balancing feed with potassium and calcium. Well, if there's a ton of calcium in your water, yeah. you, you know, certainly you could, be precipitating stones when you know we're talking about like lambs or yeah with water belly and not even thinking to account for what's in the water right right that's kind of a hidden source in a lot yeah. of cases of yeah of minerals and of toxicity potentially mm -hmm. yeah. yeah interesting so what are the some of the ways um, that you recommend figuring out what your mineral status is in your in your animals what are, what are some things you can do so there's challenges with a lot of the common ways that we well i guess there's challenges with all the ways <laughs> but so i'd say one of the most common ways that we look for mineral status is a blood test mm -hmm. so we use a it's called a royal blue top tube because if you don't, the red top leaches zinc into the sample. Mm, okay. <clears throat> so your zinc isn't reliable. Your copper on your blood test isn't reliable because the storage form of copper is in the liver. Mm -hmm. So the liver does a pretty good job at trying to maintain a copper status. That said, if your copper's low in blood, it's low in the liver. Okay. So, you know, if it that's kind of like oh, the tail end. If your copper's low in the blood, you really need to figure out a copper program yeah. i wouldn't you know i wouldn't go running for a copper bolus necessarily maybe in those instances if it's low that would be a good place to start but then slowly kind of think about their copper program mm -hmm. going from there but and then selenium on blood has to be done in a purple top tube because it's measured within the cells mm -hmm. um so we have to get the cell the white blood cell component off i believe i think that's okay but um either way, i won't, I won't hold you to it <laughs> somewhere in the cells <laughs> i just want the report i don't care yeah what to do exactly with so there's a blood test the nice thing about the blood <laughs> test is you're usually you're testing healthy animals so they mm -hmm. if you do like 10 percent of your flock or whatnot you know a subsample then you can get a pretty good idea of your flock's mineral status because mm -hmm. one mm -hmm. animal is not necessarily going to represent the whole herd. so would you recommend around 10 percent if that was a concern try to do that many animals to get some sense of what the status overall is yeah I, I, there's like if it's a smaller flock 10 percent would be good if it's a really large flock with you know 2500 or mm -hmm. six thousand animals that might be more than you need to really mm -hmm. get a good idea but uh yeah i think 10 percent to maybe 25 animals around there would be mm -hmm. a good mm -hmm. way to know what's really going on um 
But yeah, right now the blue top tubes are on back order. <laughs> <laughs> supply so, chain. It's all yeah, about the supply it's chain. wild. I, I ordered some and I can't get them till January. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So if you are wanting to do mineral testing soon, you can do the red top, but the copper again is not super reliable. The zinc is not going to be reliable. So then you end up with iron, others like manganese, they'll do calcium, phosphorus, sodium, chloride, and all of those macro minerals. But those mm -hmm. are usually only off if the animal is actually sick. Those are right. pretty tightly regulated in the blood. Right. Um, right. But they're really good markers if the animal is sick. But hopefully we're testing healthy animals. Um, so speaking of that, is there value in in looking at um, liver values in an animal that's died or even doing um, biopsies? Yeah. So that the necropsies is usually the the main method. I think it's a good way to keep kind of a constant pulse on your mm -hmm. mineral program. Mm -hmm. Um, cause you're not, you know, you usually you can't rely on a necropsy to happen, but when they do, it's a great way to take advantage of learning something from mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. one, why it died, but two, maybe this is a window into our mineral mineral program. Right. Right. Um, that said, if the if the animal died of Yoni's disease or you know something chronic, then chances are it's going to have low iron. It's going to have you know mm -hmm. like it may change mm -hmm. some of its minerals just because it's been dealing with an infection for so long. Um, so you know those I think are really valuable to do, but you know because if something is way off, you'd be like, oh, well, maybe I need to do some blood tests or, you mm -hmm. know, depending on what you're looking at, just to mm -hmm. kind of see if you do need to, or maybe it makes sense. Like if, if the copper's super low in the liver and you are seeing, you know, immune deficiency problems, if you're, if the wool coat is looking a little rough and dingy, mm -hmm. um, foot quality issues, mm -hmm. then you're like, Oh, maybe that's what's causing all of this. So yeah. Sometime, yeah. So I, I think there's a lot of value in doing that on necropsies. And conversely, I think with copper, you know, our the last number of necropsies we've done, our copper's been elevated, um, which I'm sure is environmental where we mm -hmm. are. Mm -hmm. But it also helps you kind of think about, well, do we need to be better at managing water when we know it's being the ditch is being treated, or need to be thinking about where we're grazing at particular times of year too. Yeah. And, you know, you know, you don't want to find a mineral that has a little bit of copper in it. Right. And most right. sheep mineral is just no copper at all. Right. Um, because right. they're assuming they're getting some in their diet. Yeah. Um, so they don't want to, because sheep are so sensitive to copper toxicity, they don't want to put any more into that system. Yeah. Um, but there are some sheep that are pretty deficient. Yeah. And without, you know, if there, if there's no testing happening, how would you know? Well, exactly. And if they're, if they're deficient, you, I think it's probably ill-advised just to go out and buy a, a commercially available goat mineral, for example, right? without knowing how deficient they yeah. are. And, and you know, that's something I think I'd be pretty cautious about. Yeah. And so that, that's a good segue into the next, which you mentioned already, but was liver biopsies. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it used to be that we had to get like a gram of liver <laughs> to, yeah. 
<laughs> it was huge. And so it, we used to do on feedlot cattle and it was this huge kind of boar thing that you would like, it looked like a giant needle. It was like the size <laughs> of your pinky. It was <laughs> little, yeah. <laughs> and cattle tolerated it pretty well. <laughs> Sheep, that's a giant. I mean, I can't even imagine getting it through the rib space. <laughs> but, but now our lab tests have improved so much to where it's a tiny little sample that's required. I think it's like point one grand. It's it's a fraction of what it used mm. to be. Cool. Um, so there's a it's like a biopsy gun called a true cut. And you basically, you block a little area in the skin. Um, so a lot of people now do it ultrasound guided, but mm -hmm. you can do it completely with landmarks. The nice thing about ruminants is their liver is pushed up against the right side of their body mm -hmm. because most animals, the liver is right behind their diaphragm. So it's kind of in the front of their abdomen and then their stomach is kind of cozied up behind it. Well, ruminant stomachs are so big on the left side that it smashes the liver all the way over to the right side. <laughs> so we have pretty easy access to the liver. I think one of the biggest complications with liver biopsies is biopsying the gallbladder. It's <laughs> <No. laughs> not good. Or, yeah. or hitting a vessel can yeah. happen because there's some pretty decent vessels in the liver. Yeah. Um, so that's why most people do it ultrasound guided. But it's just a little bleb of lidocaine. You do a little skin, a tiny little, like, I think it's what, five millimeter skin incision. And then you pop the true cut needle in and you can see it going right into the liver. And then you hit the trigger and it retracts and you mm. have this beautiful little liver sample. So it's, and I saw that Azores Vet Clinic had multi-min, uh, I saw it on Instagram that they had a representative come out to train them on liver biopsies. And I thought that was really cool. It's something cool. I've kind of wanted to do for vets to make them more yeah. comfortable offering it. Cause we don't do it very often here in the clinic and we do ultrasound guided biopsies of things all the time, but for, for whatever reason, we don't do a lot of liver biopsies for minerals. I think most owners are more comfortable biopsying something that might kill them than right. biopsying something of a healthy animal. Right. So, right. Right. Yeah. How many would you, would you need to do to get some idea of mineral status if you were doing liver biopsies? Same, same number kind of? Pro yeah, probably ideally okay. the same number, but if comfort is an issue, then you could do a few right. less. Right. Um, Right. Yeah. I, I think that's, you know, sending an animal to the lab at Davis, if you're as close as I am, even if you kind of know why the animal died or it's, you know, it's it's good to get that information on a kind of regular basis, I think. Yep. Yeah, I agree. Well worth the investment. I agree. Yeah. And there's um, there are other tests that they'll do with a necropsy, I believe they'll do. You know, they'll look at what kind of parasites are in there. Right. And even if that's right. not the cause of death, they'll report those things out usually. Yep. Um, yep. All of that is useful mm -hmm. information. Yeah. It really yeah. is. Yeah. Or yeah. if there were sheep measles or something like yeah, that. Yeah, <laughs> right, right, right. So this is this is another rabbit hole, but I had an interesting farm call today. And I won't, I won't say where it is or who it was, <laughs> um, but it was in an area where there is a trap club. What's and a trap club? So it's a um, trap shooting club. Oh, shoot okay. Shotguns. Okay. Yeah. And 
Um, there is documented lead contamination in ponds below huh. um, and in some of the soil below this facility. And um, this particular um, landowner was really interested in knowing if there was any contamination in the forage mm -hmm. um, because their animals were grazing this forage and they wanted to determine if there's anything um, that they need to be concerned about toxicity wise with the lead. They have but sheep it, or cattle? Uh, sheep. Okay, good. Sheep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that was, I, that's a new one for me. So we, we went and did some kind of representative forage sampling and we'll hopefully get some information back in the next week or so. But on those toxicity issues with heavy metals, are there some some diagnosis tools with the animals that we can look at to determine if they've had some prolonged exposure to some of those types of things? Yeah, so lead toxicity causes neurologic disease. Mm -hmm. um, and so you'll see them go down with that. They'll get really crazy. <laughs> and, um, but yeah, I can't remember the tissue that they test, but it is a tissue. I can't remember if it's the aqueous, like of the eyeball, or if there's mm. another tissue that they're looking at. But sometimes it's in the eyeball that they're looking at. Okay. These. Okay. Um, but I will figure that out before our necropsy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But yeah, well, the question came up about about wool and about um, meat tissue too, about whether there's any. Oh yeah, Potential no. So Farad has a whole. Um, I'll I'll definitely bring that to the workshop because Farad, yeah. or at least we'll put a list of resources because Farad has. Um, that's a big issue because it's a feed. It's a food contaminant. Yeah, and so they have withdrawal times and. Oh, I mean, they have resources. You should. Um, and but anyway, they can be contacted and if Farad, there's concern. Farad is what? It's the food animal residue avoidance. And detection. And detection. Right. There you go. It used to be database, but then they're like, they're more than just a database. They're, yeah. they are human beings <laughs> that should yeah. be consulted with when there's, you know, whether it's lead or any kind of contaminant that could enter into the food supply. Yeah. Um, they can really help with whether the animal can at all, or if there is some kind of withdrawal period that can be um, applied so, yeah, no, that's interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah. Especially I asked if they were cattle or sheep because, you know, most of the lead toxicity that we encounter is from cattle licking batteries. <laughs> <laughs> Special. And, or barns with lead paint and the paint chips off. Oh, and right. animals will chew the wood and things that had the right. lead paint on it. So right. those are usually how we get lead, how we see lead toxicity. I've never heard of it from forage. So that will be interesting. And then cattle, when they graze, they're not going to be selective against any shells that might be on the ground. They may be more likely to right. just hoover it all in. Right. <laughs> and whereas sheep are, they have, um, more prehensile lips and so they will sort through all that stuff yeah it's going to be interesting to see the forage samples and then to think about where there are some other things we ought to be looking at with the animals yeah. too you know i just yeah. thought it's so funny we think of sheep and goats being so selective and i've seen plenty of necropsies with goats with 
halters, <laughs> underwear. <laughs> like <laughs> they are choosing to eat these things. So we are we're not bashing goats, everybody. No. But it's another reason to have sheep. <laughs> <laughs> You'd have to have a really hungry sheep to end up with. I mean, plastic yes. bags, like why? Why would you eat an entire plastic bag? Because <laughs> it was there. It was there. <laughs> it's so funny because we i mean we always defend goats no they don't actually eat those things they're just curious and mouthy and they want to chew on it no they actually, no, they eat, actually those eat those them. things they eat them. oh yeah yeah we have <laughs> speaking of of animals with weird dietary behaviors our dogs love to chew on mulberry <laughs> sticks when we trim the big trees out in front <laughs> and this week my dog, May, my border collie, had a stick stuck right between her upper oh, yeah. uh, upper teeth and mm. was trying to get it out. Just That was stupid, May. You're supposed to be a smart dog. <laughs> oh, well. Oh, my goodness. Another yep. rabbit hole. Yeah. <laughs> get there. Um, but, yeah, so those are ways to kind of know what your mineral status is. And then, like we said, I think there there's definitely place for things like multi-min and boluses mm -hmm. one if oh let's if a free choice block or um what do you call them <laughs> like the granular minerals the mineral yeah. Yes, yeah yes that's the word i was looking for <laughs> <laughs> those te technical terms yeah, are hard my I know. goodness <laughs> what happens when you spend all morning by yourself in a lab <laughs> words are hard to come by <laughs> but yeah those can be really challenging to deliver especially on a daily basis mm -hmm. or you know depending on where you are and so some people doing the boluses is the best that they can do and they'll do it every once you know every couple months or whatnot mm -hmm. and that's mm -hmm. great but you end up if if you were to follow them you would end up seeing more of a wave right. of mineral. spikes of yeah yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. But, and unfortunately there's not much of a storage form for most of these minerals so at least in the forms that we're giving them, these are like inorganic selenite, right. selenates, um, yeah, copper sulfates. And so they, if they don't use them, they just excrete them. Um, whereas there are forms of at least selenium that I know of, like selenomethionine that will mm -hmm. incorporate into body tissues. And so then when they have higher periods of demand, they can draw on those. They can pull that out. Yeah, it's really interesting. Um, I think it's it is you know I've talked to cattle people. I think that's there's there's because there's more money in cattle um, who do some fairly regular forage testing and then come up with a a recipe for their mineral program that fits that particular time frame in their forage. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know anybody with sheep that does that. Mm -hmm. But I do think it's worth investing in a little higher quality mineral for sheep, you know, to use the the stuff available from California wool growers or um, get something that's a little better formulated than just the feed store salt. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And that is something that it sounds like a lot of the contract grazers are interested in. Yeah. Because they, yeah. and I think it should, like you say, it should be seasonal and yeah. looking at, 
the animal's mineral status at different seasons on different, you know, environments kind of a thing and see if, if there is a way to try to tailor it a little bit more, maybe on a broad scale, right? Like we're not doing it for individual operation, but for an industry that has so much variation to know a little bit better how they can meet the animal's needs at certain points. The challenge with that is that people are going to have different breeding seasons and, you know, there's so much individual variation that it it's never going to be perfect, but if we could do better, that would be great. <laughs> it's almost like we need a decision wheel that can say, here's the condition of my forage. Here's the condition. Here's the stage of production. Yeah. Here's what I need to think about in terms of the mineral program. Yeah. And what's really interesting is talking to like Robert has mentioned a couple of times that he it's he, so most minerals like loose minerals are formulated to keep them from eating too much. Right. Right. So like salt, they're salt limited. They're yeah. salt limited. Exactly. And they're, which is interesting <clears throat> because like when we had wit out for that, uh, it was a couple of years ago when he did that mineral talk for mm-hmm. wool growers. Um, I don't remember if it was wool growers. <laughs> anyway, it was a while ago. And he was saying that on the sage that they would put out, cakes and the complaint i think for most producers was that they would eat them too fast Mm -hmm. and so i think that there are probably options but it sounds like robert's challenge is getting enough mineral into them like they Mm -hmm. just can't eat it fast enough on the Mm -hmm. dry forage that they're on in the summer Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. yeah it's interesting i think there's also a relationship with water intake too at that Mm -hmm. stage too i think totally noticed when when the sheep like it's interesting right now the sheep are really hitting the mineral block which is salt limited but it's been cool enough that their water intake is significantly less and so i'm wondering what that's doing to to kind of the solubility of the of the minerals that they're taking in too yeah yeah interesting all, all sorts of complicating factors. <laughs> I think, Wit, if you listen to this one, you're in the crosshairs, buddy. We're going to have you on the podcast so we can really pick your brain about minerals. I, think that... I told Dan, I wanted to brush up on minerals before we recorded this, but eh, whatever. Well, <laughs> Let's just talk about it. Let's just do it. <laughs> we'll see Wit next week, so we'll we'll corner him. And... Oh, that's right. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Maybe I should pick up the microphone, the mobile recording thing from Ryan. <laughs> Maybe we'll, we'll record another episode from the bar. Like we yeah. did. Minerals like, with the expert. <laughs> yeah, in the bar. In the bar. <laughs> so let's throw experts out the window. <laughs> <laughs> That's where most, I think most sheep information gets shared, either in the bar or the coffee shop, right? Yeah, yeah. Because it's proprietary until you <laughs> loosen that whistle a little bit. <laughs> Have coffee or beer. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> um, where, if if somebody was interested in getting their forage tested, how would they go about that? What would be the there? 
So there's a couple. So I know most people, I don't know if this is true. There is a lab in New York at Cornell that does a really good forage analysis. Yeah. Um, There's a lab here at Davis too, but it's a lot smaller. So I think their time frame is a little bit different. Yeah. Um, yeah, but that Cornell lab is pretty quick in their yeah, turnaround. Yeah. yeah. And I think most people are used to looking at their, so that's the thing is if every lab uses a different acronym, then it's like, how do you, <laughs> Right. <laughs> you just kind of got to pick one and, and stay work. with it. Yeah. 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 So yeah. you kind of know what it means, but for all of the energy and protein and all of that information that you get. But as far as, the different where did you go for the lead testing is that through cornell or the CAFS lab <laughs> that's a complicated answer uh. <laughs> um, my intent was to go through the CAFS lab mm-hmm. <clears throat> the landowner had a different idea and since they were paying they sent it to a lab that does kind of general heavy metals testing so okay i'm kind of curious as to what they'll come back with i think it would be worth sending it to a forage lab just because you'd get you'd get more information about about what's in the forage yeah because i know the calf's lab does heavy metals and they do other things but they don't do general forage analysis right they do things more for animal health concerns and they'll do some secondary compounds i think too Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah yeah I think, you know, if people are interested in doing forage, doing forage testing, the Dairy One Lab has a great little one pager on how to collect forage samples and how to prepare them to send in. And Mm -hmm. um, we're going to actually, we've got a grant to do some brush forage testing, and we're going to do a little video on how to collect the samples. So I'll make sure that gets, there's a link to that on Instagram too, if people are interested in how to do it. Yeah, cool. If I can do it, anybody can do it. It's pretty easy. Yeah, I think think that's another area that's we don't often take the time or spend the money to do, but I think Mm -hmm. getting some representative kind of seasonal um, knowledge of what the sheep are eating and what it's what its value is, that's going to vary from one year to the next and one place to the next. But yeah, I'm really excited that we tacked that onto that project we're doing because yeah. I think there's a lot of value there. I do too. Mm-hmm. I do too. Oh. Yeah. yeah. And you can work with your local farm advisor to get that done too. If it's just seems like one more thing you don't have time to do, mm-hmm. extension folks can help you get that done too. Yeah. It's interesting working with these groups on animal care and what you know, we divide it into nutrition and health. And it's like, they're continuums of the same thing. <laughs> well, I'm a lumper. I'm a lumper. Yeah. <laughs> and there's, you know, there's too little, we see problems too much. We see problems. And then there's mm-hmm. this hole in between where we, we can probably be more precise. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think that's where we can do a lot of improvements, but mm-hmm. yeah, it's, Interesting, because I think, yeah, still there's a lot of folks that we're just trying to avoid either end and just stay in the middle, too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah. Kind of kind of within sideboards. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> what do you got going on this next week? Just another lazy week sitting around the office? I cannot believe it is almost November. I know. 
You got Halloween coming up at your house next yeah, week. Yeah, right? my kids are excited. What are they going to dress up as? Well, thank goodness in September I asked them, and so we have costumes. You get mom of, mom of the year right there. <laughs> They've been hanging in their rooms for the last three weeks. <laughs> I remember kids saying, always wore theirs early. Oh, yeah, I, I forbid that because if they put a <laughs> hole in it, there's no way we're getting another one before Halloween. I'm like, you can play in these as much as you want after Halloween, but these are up out of reach for now. Good call. <laughs> I remember saying to someone, not even to myself, oh, October's going to be quiet. I'm going to get <laughs> writing done. What? <laughs> How'd that work out for you? Yeah, no. I. <laughs> it's wild. Yeah, it's been... Yeah. I don't even know where it's gone, but it's cool. But yeah, the kids are going to be... What is Jocelyn? Well, Chris knew exactly what he wanted to be. He wanted to be an iron mogul, which I had no idea what that was. I was like, oh, okay. I looked it up and I, <laughs> I'm sure I spelled it wrong. He's like, it's from Minecraft. I'm like, oh, okay. So I found out what character that was, but there are no iron mogul costumes that I could find. So then he said anything from Minecraft. So he is a endo dragon. <laughs> it's a black square dragon cool <laughs> everything in minecraft is square cool. <laughs> yeah so that's he's happy he's excited it's very cute and then ellie is hermione oh which nice is hilarious because she's never watched a movie read a book i'm like <laughs> where what like where did that come from so actually she said she wanted to be harry potter so i was showing her all the harry potter co costumes and she saw hermione because she's wearing a dress and she's like oh i want that one i'm like it's not just a girl harry potter that's a totally different character <laughs> <laughs> i don't care mom she didn't care yeah i was like great done and then jocelyn my oldest had no idea what she wanted to be she ultimately she's been reading these dragon books so i found the inflatable dragon you know it looks like they're writing it i think they're hilarious yeah, <laughs> so she was excited cool. about that and i was like okay well we we should make last year she was a ghost and i was like oh we could make you a ghost riding a dragon and find your costume from last year and of course i'm sure i threw it away <laughs> 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 so i had to buy her a new like cape it's like a ghostly white keep thing cool. but it, yeah so Very they're cool. they're they're excited Very and, cool. yeah we're gonna walk around the neighborhood with a bunch of other families and that'll be fun and then i get to go to denver with that's you. right <laughs> right denver next week and what else is going on we pull the rams two weeks from today oh cool oh so that'll be good i gotta get kind of figured out where everybody's going after that so that'll be and the Rams stay at home for the rest of the year. Yeah, we had in the past we've we put them on another property, kind of about a mile from the house. Mm -hmm. But we make we pay lots better attention to their nutrition and health. But I see them every day. Yeah, and I, that for us really pays off at our scale. We got yeah. a much better breed up last year. So yeah, yeah, cool. That'll be good. Yeah, <clears throat> finish our feeder lambs the end of the month, end of November, and get them shipped and processed. So it'll be good. I'll only have two groups of sheep by December 1st. Wow. 
something you can maybe wrap your head around with all the other stuff going on. Maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe. My, my brain capacity is. I'm so impressed. I was maybe. laughing at myself. I overthink things way too much. I don't know if you've noticed. That. I, I, no, <laughs> shocked. What? Bring things up that you off? said two months ago. Like what? <laughs> <laughs> but I was laughing because I listened to the podcast I did with Ryan in the Lambing Barn, and I literally said. Oh, I probably have more time to do these things. So that's why I was saying, I think we were talking about, I was talking about feeding the lamb and I I was like, what? Like if I had my own sheep, no, I would not have more time to do those things. The, when I have done those things, I worked in the hospital and I was paid to do those things. I ha- I was my job was to ensure that those things happened because people were paying. <laughs> I just thought it was hilarious because Ryan kept saying, oh, reality versus the classroom. I'm like, no, we did these things. and But it was in the hospital. <laughs> I was like, no. I don't just magically have more time than people. Mm-mm. No. no. <laughs> I wish I did. That'd be no, great. I, yeah, I wish I did too. But so far, <laughs> that, that wish has not come true. Yeah. 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 I think I'd spend more time with my family if I had more time. <laughs> I bet, you know, that's another reason to say no to some stuff. Yeah. It's hard to do, but that's probably the most important reason to say no. Yep. Yep. So, <laughs> definitely. I'm learning. <laughs> yeah, I'm not. It's hard. Definitely, I'm not learning at all. I haven't <laughs> said no yet. I'm just learning that it's important <laughs> to say no. <laughs> I don't even know how to spell it. <laughs> did i ever give you that stamp not yet i don't think so i think oh, it's I think still I've up seen it though. yeah yeah <laughs> yes you showed it to me yes yes yeah my friend when i worked with the state got me a rubber stamp that says no no way not gonna happen like all different <laughs> she got me the ink and everything and so whenever we got emails She's okay. okay you got to print this one, and they would take the stamp and just yeah, but... slam it. Very, <laughs> <laughs> but I haven't used it yet here. <laughs> I, I had. I I will admit I had an email request this week that I said nope. Good job. Can't do it. Good job. Now I feel really guilty. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Oh man. Uh, so we've got a workshop coming up in a in about three weeks too, right? Yes. Yeah. That'll be really cool. And it's full. It's full. It is. It is. So sounds like there's there's more demand to do more of them. We'll have to think about how to get that done. But yeah, that should be great. Yeah, I think this will be a good first experience and i think there'll be a lot of good resources i think what we will learn from this time is how to make it tighter because you and i can talk (laughs) i think we're gonna run out of time we gotta speak for yourself oh (laughs) i never over talk Uh (laughs) uh-huh yeah we had a we get too excited. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And then people start learning and that gets us more excited. Yeah. <laughs> we had a, a oak tree workshop last night that was supposed to be over at 530. And at 6.15, I finally said, you know, it's going to get dark. We probably ought to wrap this up. <laughs> That's amazing. 
or that one workshop or the, I think it was a webinar before the sheep health workshop that was supposed oh, yeah. to be an hour. And yeah. I took an hour and a half and could have kept going, but people had good. questions. It was great. Right. <laughs> All good. All yeah. good. That's why we do the podcast. Yeah, we can let all that extra talking energy go out. Exactly. Our <laughs> our families are so grateful we do the podcast. Yes. Dan so wouldn't shut up before the podcast. Brian's <laughs> like, that's just gross. <laughs> I don't want to hear about that while you're making dinner. <laughs> I don't understand. <laughs> oh, vet school conversations are the best yes. for mealtime. Yeah. Yep. Because most of them are food analogies. So <laughs> Yeah, I know. <laughs> I mean, they call it caseous lymphadenitis for ah, a reason. Ah, <laughs> ah, ah. All right. On that note. Have a great week. You got to take us Dan. out. <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, well, this has been Sheep Stuff You Should Know. And we <laughs> rambled on long enough. I don't know if we mentioned anything of value, but we had a lot of fun. So. It was fun. If you have questions, there was, I don't know if it's up anymore because it's probably been 24 hours. I'll do it again. But you guys had mentioned how you wanted to do a podcast, just answering questions, roundtable things. So I put yeah. up something on Instagram where people could ask questions and we only got like five questions. So I'll do it again. We ought to do the mailbag. We ought to be like Car Talk <laughs> and just do a mailbag. I think that'd be fun. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be cool. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let's do that again. And and uh, you can always direct message Rosie or me mm -hmm. with questions as well. So yeah, absolutely. Cool. All right. Well, thanks, Dan. Happy <laughs> Take Halloween. Care. See you yeah. next week. <laughs> See you next week. Bye. Bye.